The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. I want to wish you all a very happy new year. Um, we have a, a very timely topic for our show today. We're going to be talking about the integration of psychiatry in, in with um, conventional alternative medicine, and we're also going to be talking about the stigma that exists for people with mental illness when they try to access health care. And our guest today is Dr. Diego Correa who is um, the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine and the director of the Deborah Simon Center for Integrated Behavioral Health and Wellness at Hackensack University Medical Center. He is board certified in psychiatry and psychosomatic medicine. He was named to the 2014 list of best New York doctors by New York Magazine, as well as being selected by Castle Conley's list of the 2014 top doctors in psychiatry. He is also the recipient of the 2002 Harvey Schwed Memorial Award for Teaching Excellence from New Jersey Medical School and the Institute for Nursing 2009 Apple Award. Um, thank you so much for spending this hour with us today. Oh, thank you very much, Mary, for inviting me. And um, let me first congratulate you for, for your show. I think uh, it provides a necessary education for our community. Thank you. Well, I guess... You know, I guess the best place to start is maybe for us to discuss a little bit some of the stigma that people with um, mental illness and psychiatric um, symptoms experience when they go in for health care. Could you explain to our audience a little bit of what, what happens for those folks? Yes, well, the stigma has uh, many different faces. It's, it's, um, sometimes it starts with the individual and, and, and uh, their self-confidence, but the most... Um, important one that I'm, I'm trying to um, fight for is the, the um, insurance companies is one of the biggest uh, problems that we have when someone comes to the emergency room and they, um, for example, their insurance may cover the medical hospitalization, but the mental health uh, piece and component is many times carved out. So that patient, if they have a heart condition, they may be able to come up to a bed in that hospital, but if, if their emergency is mental health or substance abuse, they may need to go to another facility. So that's one of the barriers. And also the providers it themselves, when they see uh, many times um, physicians, uh, nurses, uh, patients that are exhibiting psychiatric or neuropsychiatric symptoms, they treat them differently. And those are one of the, um, the issues that we are trying to fight here at Hackensack. 
what we have done, and I, if I can tell you, is we started with integrating the inpatient medical units. And um, our unit is a medical psychiatric unit. It's a combined unit. I think, to my knowledge, the only one in New Jersey, and there's only a few in the country. What that means is that our patients can have comorbid conditions, medical, surgical, and, and uh, mental health issues, and come to our unit. For example, we treated a 35-year-old man with schizophrenia that was, um, had malnutrition because he was refusing to eat. He needed a central line, and most psychiatric units will not accept him. We took him. We worked with him, and that's one of the examples of someone that needed medical care in an acute setting and also um, psychiatric care. You know, at Westbridge, we treat folks that have a severe and persistent mental illness, and I'm also a registered nurse, and I know that when I've gone with some of our guys to um, just get a, a yearly physical, when the staff see schizophrenia, they get treated different. Mm-hmm. Just just the diagnosis in and of itself. And, and you know, the, the person I went with um, had insurance, um, he has unlimited financial resources, but he was still treated like somebody like they didn't want to touch, they didn't want to talk to. Um, it's, it's really sad. It is sad. Uh, I, I can give you an example of a, a young woman that, that we treated here. And um, she, um 14-year-old woman with, who presented with uh, hallucinations and aggression, and um, he, she had had seizures recently, too. So from the beginning, my, my team thought that there was something going on in the brain. Um, but uh, until it was diagnosed that she had a, an infection in her brain, she had an encephalitis, something called anti-NMDA encephalitis, the, the whole um, uh, approach to the patient changed. At the beginning, when, they, when, when some members of the team thought uh, that she was a psychiatric patient, the treatment that she received was much different to the point when, when we diagnosed her with an infection in her brain. The symptoms and the behavior were the same. But now we knew that there was an infection in the brain. So everybody, the nurses, the primary care physicians, pediatricians, treat her differently. So that's why um, when, when I look at reducing stigma, I look at uh, three important things that are First of all, integration, like I described before, just improving the access to care. Just, just look at it as, for example, people with disabilities. We make sure that there's always a way to get into buildings and to remove the barriers for them so that they can uh, be treated equally in our society. I look at it for mental illness in the same way. We have to remove the barriers. We have to... Let them come in wherever we are. That's why I think in, in um, general hospitals, integrating medical and psychiatric patients together in the same waiting areas, in the same units, is very important so that we understand that a mental illness is an illness just as having heart disease or uh, diabetes. Does this happen in other departments of the hospital as well, or is it basically your unit that's integrated? Does the emergency room or x-ray um, We started with our unit. We, we do have um, 
uh, a very strong um, consultation service in the hospital. Our, our hospital is uh, is a large hospital. It's a teaching hospital. There are 780 beds. And we have uh, four psychiatrists that are uh, doing consults throughout the hospital. So what what we do is we treat patients because almost 50% of patients admitted to general hospitals have some sort of mental illness, either depression, anxiety, alcoholism, substance abuse. And many times those go unrecognized. When that happens, the length of stay for their medical condition is longer the chances that those patients not being compliant with the medical treatment are higher, and the chances of them coming back to the hospital are also higher. So good news, I think, for psychiatry now is with the new healthcare system, hospitals are looking at avoiding readmissions, avoiding um, excessive use of, of resources, and unless you treat the mental health issues uh, at the same time that you're treating medical conditions, you're not going to get that. So I think the, the, um, our society is changing in the way we look at mental illness, and I'm very optimistic about the changes. You'd mentioned um, addiction as well. So um, are people with addictive disorders integrated into this unit too? Yes, they are. We, um, we're a general psychiatric unit. That's how we started. We're not a... Um, a 30-day rehab, but we, mm-hmm. we admit um, patients with substance abuse issues, and we provide the initial detox and medical care. We keep them um, as long as necessary, but some of them require longer stays, and then we, we transfer them to uh, inpatient rehabs. But they are admitted to our unit, and they, they receive the same, same care. What we look is at the brain as the organ that we have to keep healthy. So our approach is, is not only integrating services, but also uh, looking at a healthy person and looking at the individual that most of the time, I, I tell them you're 90% healthy and then 10, you have 10% issues that we have, to, we have to work with. But we tried from the beginning on the admission to the hospital to um, educate the patients, which, which I think is another important uh, component of reducing stigma, educating the patients about their brain, a healthy brain, their illness. Many times um, people are not aware, most of the time, that inflammation in general can cause not only diabetes and heart disease, but also depression and anxiety and in sometimes substance abuse. So when we educate our patients, in healthy lifestyle changes, and uh, not only their mental illness improve, but also whatever physical issues they may be having are, are taken care of at the same time as well. So you mentioned earlier that you're feeling optimistic about um, the reduction of stigma. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I'm feeling optimistic because um, I think that one of the main barriers and it's uh, insurance companies. I mean, hospitals, yeah, whenever you run an operation, you have to uh, at least be able to cover your, your costs because otherwise the, the, the major problems in our healthcare system is, is the financial issues. So my optimism is in that for mental health in particular that we are going to play an important role 
in keeping the population healthy. And that will help um, physicians and institutions um, make their money because up to today, we were paid for um, just fee-for-service. You come in and we treat you and you go back and you keep coming. And now um, the new, at least how I understand it, new healthcare system, we're trying to move into paying for people, people uh, keeping people healthy, paying for quality. And once you get into that, you have to incorporate lifestyle changes and mental health because otherwise you're going to continue to see individuals using um, healthcare system excessively, emergency rooms and inpatient units in if the resources are put into prevention, preventing mental illness, preventing substance abuse, it's amazing to me that we get a patient in the emergency room and they have alcoholism. And sometimes it's very, very hard to uh, place them in an inpatient rehab or, or the appropriate unit. If they're involved in a car accident and they have fractures and trauma, they get treatment. We treat them. But we don't treat their alcoholism. We don't, we don't pay for prevention. So that's, that's what I think is going to change, and that's, that's how I feel optimistic. Well, I, I certainly um, share your optimism, and let's be really helpful for, for this coming year. You had mentioned earlier about a healthy brain. How do we um, keep our brains healthy? The mo- There's a number of things that we should all do. And there are basic things that most of us know about them, but somehow we don't do it. But the, the number one uh, in factor in keeping your brain healthy is nutrition. It's what we eat. We have to um, lower the carbohydrates, the sugar that we eat, um, more vegetables, um, nutrients that have we – we can't be afraid of fat. There's good fat. There's fat that is contained in avocados, in, in nuts, for example, in fish. So those are good. So learning about our nutrition, what we can eat, that is the first, the first way of keeping your brain healthy. And Exercise. we'll be right back to discuss hmm? other ways keeping our brain healthy right after this commercial. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. 
Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be. Taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your um, host today. And our guest is Dr. Diego Coria, who is the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at Hackensack University Medical Center. And he's also the director of the Deborah Simon Center for Integrated Behavioral Health and Wellness at Hackensack University Medical Center. And before we went to commercial, we were talking about um, how we keep our brains healthy. And you were talking about nutrition. And then we had to go to break. But I think there are more ways more things we can do to keep our brain healthy as well. Well, I, as I was saying, nutrition is, is very, very important. What we eat, uh, other things that we can do to, to protect our brain are um, exercise. Exercise is, is very, very important in keeping our, our, our brain healthy because it improves the oxygenation. The brain needs oxygen to function. So, Daily exercise, and, and I'm not talking about running a marathon, just being active. Being active has uh, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety effect. It improves your, your cardiac uh, health. It prevents you from getting diabetes. So exercise, actually, some people, some doctors in their research community call Alzheimer's disease diabetes type 3 because uh, of the association of, of nutrition and exercise and developing diabetes and developing um, uh, Alzheimer's disease. So exercise is very important. Daily walks, 20 minutes, hopefully you'll increase the amount of time to 30, 40 minutes a day. Um, Stress reduction is is very important as well. And there's a number of techniques. Mindfulness, uh, meditation is so powerful. There's some Research studies done about um, nuns and monks that meditate for life, and the, the cerebral cortex, the brains are larger in volume than, than the average person. So the concept of mindfulness, doing one thing at a time, paying attention to what you're doing, multitasking, not good for the brain. Electronics, not good for the brain. Uh, they're the opposite of mindfulness. Too much TV, too much video games. Avoiding those, you're preventing your brain from developing uh, anxiety, even Alzheimer's. 
other things that are important are relationships are very important. Uh, our families, our friends, it's, it's been shown that people that have strong relationships, they'll um, have better health, better mental health, better physical health. And the one last thing that I, I, I always emphasize is also having meaning and purpose in your life, something that uh, keeps you going. So those are, those are ways to, to um, improve your brain health. You had mentioned before we went to break, don't be afraid of, of fat. Did you want to say a little bit more about that? Yes. Uh, um, there are certain components of what is, what is known as the anti-inflammatory diet or the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet is the, it's more of a... It's, it comes from La Dieta Mediterranea in Spanish, which is really not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And in the Mediterranean diet, there's uh, things like fish that are very important. Fish contains um, omega-3, omega-6. Uh, uh, these are essential fatty acids. These are, the, the brain is composed uh, of fat. The brain needs fat and cholesterol to function. So um, this uh, fish oil, the oil, the fat that is contained in, in fish, in avocados, in nuts, it's good fat. It's fat that it's important for the brain to function, to improve your cognition, to help you with your, um, your mood. So we have to, of course, be aware of the calories that we, that we eat, but these fats are good. Actually, you, we, the cholesterol, now, there's, a, there's a good brain, I mean, sorry, a book out there called The Grain Brain that talks about this and how we have exaggerated a little bit keeping the cholesterol too low because uh, the brain and the body needs cholesterol to function. So always keeping a balance with, with what we eat and, and what we do, it's important, but going to extreme diets of no salt or no fat they could be dangerous too because then we're um, preventing or our, 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 our not giving the nutrients that our brain needs. It's almost like um, we, we're working against ourselves in some ways. It is. You know? I, I think it is, and I think it has a lot to do with the way our society is running around and eating fast and, and moving from one thing to another without taking your time. Uh, the brain needs uh, a lot of um, rest. Sleep is another thing that, that I, I don't want to forget to mention. We do need seven, seven and a half hours of sleep. Um, all the stress hormone goes up if we don't, if we don't sleep um, at least seven hours. So there's... There are certain things that when, you, when a patient comes to a physician or a psychiatrist, unfortunately, we don't talk about. And I have, I have treated patients that come to me uh, with years of depression, multiple, multiple medications, and no one has taken the time to, to talk about these this, uh, issues, nutrition, exercise. I, I can tell you, I've been able to in many, many occasions, reduce uh, the amount of medication that people take by just changing their lifestyles. 80 to 90% of the conditions that we treat are preventable 
with lifestyle changes. And not only mental illness I'm talking about, I'm talking in general, diabetes, stroke, high blood pressure, heart disease. The mind and the body are connected. And that's the one thing that is important to always remember. We can treat the mind and forget about the body or treat the body and forget about the mind. And that seems what we have been doing so far. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of advances in, in conventional medicine. And there are many surgeries that we need and there are many, many good treatments available for us. But for the, for the average patient, when they see a physician, if we emphasize in lifestyle changes, many of the treatments that they're exposed to in terms of uh, psychiatric medications, for example, could be avoided or, or used at the minimum. So when you're talking about integrative medicine, you're talking about the integrative what you're just talking about, the mind and the body being um, combined for whatever illness it is. We look at treating both simultaneously. Yes, and I think psychiatry is in, in mental health is in a good um, position to, to lead this new way of thinking because um, our, the standard of care in psychiatry has been uh, what we call the biopsychosocial model, meaning that we incorporate biological, psychological, um, spiritual, and social aspects of the individual. So now, uh, when if we look at our patients as a whole person instead of compartmentalizing, and we can, with the same treatment, with the same exercise, nutrition, stress reduction um, treatment, we can take care of diabetes, heart disease, depression, anxiety at the same time. So integrating uh, modalities and, and trying to look at the person, many of the medications that we use, for example, in psychiatry for schizophrenia, for example, can predispose our patients to diabetes. And then they go and see somebody else for the diabetes. And then they maybe they get another medication. So I think integrating the services and looking at the individual and putting it all together in, in ideally in one place, one location with the um, collaborating primary care and mental health workers in the same location, it's uh, of great help to, our, to the health of our patients. Does this require special training for the healthcare providers? I think so, and I, that's a very, very good question. Um, it's not complicated to provide this, this kind of training, but we haven't been doing it. We um, are here at Hackensack, for example, because that's another important uh, component, educating the, the new healthcare providers. We are, as a teaching hospital, we have, we're affiliated with two medical schools, the Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and St. George's Medical School. So what I have done is I'm starting with the medical students. I'm, I have a series of lectures for them that cover all these topics, and I'm trying because m most of them are not going to be psychiatrists. They're, they're doing their third-year medical um, clerkships. But I'm trying to introduce them to these topics so when they become surgeons, cardiologists, uh, pediatricians, or some psychiatrists, they learn how to look at the individual as a whole person. So I think some medical schools are starting to to do this already, and unfortunately, what drives many of these changes is is uh, the financial success of, of institutions 
And that's why I feel optimistic because now incorporating these modalities will um, not only improve the health of our communities, but reduce the, the cost of health care. Um, which would, I think, also speaks to the quality of life for the individual as well, because if they're spending less time in the hospital and they're healthier, they're able to um, maximize their potential too. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely, and, and now that you mentioned that, I, I, there's a, one topic I would like to touch upon, two, two concepts, and one is the, it's called epigenetics. And what, what epigenetics means is that you can change the expression of your genes by changing your lifestyle, and you can improve the quality of your life by just making some lifestyle changes. But we have to, when I think we, are, we have the responsibility as healthcare providers to um, educate our patients that um, simple things like being outdoors, exercising, watching what you eat, reducing the stress by techniques like mindfulness, meditation, um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, different forms of psychotherapies. We change our lifestyle. We may be predisposed to develop uh, a condition, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar. Even if you, both of your parents had it, you can do things to change your life and the expression of those genes may, may be suppressed. So there's hope for people. So there's hope for um, us being able to um, change maybe the course of our genetic uh, pattern of, of, uh, of illness and health. And we'll be right back after this commercial with more. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. 
Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Diego Correa, who is the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at Hackensack University Medical Center, and he is also the, the director of the Deborah Simon Center for Integrated Behavioral Health and Wellness at Hackensack University Medical Center in Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, before we went to commercial, you were talking to us about epigenetics, but you also said you want there was another concept that you wanted to talk to our audience about. Um, I think it was neuroplasticity. Yes, that's that's another concept that I think is very important because that has been, uh, uh, I think, a revolution in 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 the brain and mental health. In the past, we thought that once a, a, a neuron or a brain cell was dead, that was it. For example, you you get drunk and you kill a number of neurons and they never come back. Now, over the years, recently, we have um, a different understanding of the brain and this concept, what we call neuroplasticity or the brain plasticity, which means that the brain does have the capacity to regenerate and to um, produce uh, new connections um, between brain cells and so I think that's very important because there's hope for individuals that have been suffering for many years of mental illness and, and substance abuse, and there's ways to improve your brain functioning. And one of the ways to do it is stimulating the brain, um, learning another language, for example, learning a lang- uh, or just trying to learn it. You don't have to become fluent in it, but just just trying to learn another language stimulating your brain by reading or learning a new task, going back to school. Now we know that the brain keeps growing until we die. So there's, there's the potential of the brain to regenerate itself even into your late 60s, 70s. And originally we thought that by age 20-something, your brain, you had, it would, that was it. From that point on, your brain cells were going to die. So I think that's important because... Um, Going back to your integrative modalities and, and stimulating your brain, many times when someone comes to see us and uh, we just uh, look at the illness. And when I teach my students and my residents, I try to tell them to um, look at the person and don't put your energy only into treating an illness but keeping that person healthy. That sometimes takes care of, helps you take care, take care of the illness by itself. So that concept of uh, the brain being able to regenerate cells by uh, stimulating your brain to grow, 
which are techniques like biofeedback, like uh, even mindfulness meditation, positive thinking, um, even things like pet therapy. There's research that shows that um, people that have pets uh, have healthier lives and live longer than, than those that don't. So I think that those two concepts of epigenetics and neuroplasticity are very important because it gives the power to the individual. And they, they know that if, if they are uh, in control of their life, they can, they can change their life. Um, I think that's very hopeful, and I'd like to change the topic to um, some of the conventional um, medical treatments that um, people with mental illness have available to them, and certainly probably the one that's most known to people is medication. And over the last 15 years, there's been a tremendous amount of new medications um, on the market. We, we're seeing medications being advertised on television, and I think that there's a belief that if I just get the right medication, my brain disease will go away, and that's not really true. And I just wondered if you wanted to speak a little bit about um, the efficacy of medication and polypharmacy and some of the other mm -hmm. um, experiences that people have. Sure. Um, over the last two or three decades, there have been an explosion of new psychiatric medications, and and some of them are very, very effective. Um, I'm very conservative in, in when I prescribe medications because I think there's no evidence that two, three, four, five medications work better than one when you're treating um, any psychiatric illness. But the average psychiatric patient takes four to five medications. We, we um, my colleague uh, Mitch Grady, who's the director of... Uh, um, nursing and psychiatry at Hackensack University Medical Center, and I did a study around 15 years ago in our inpatient unit. The average patient was coming in with 4.5 medications. Then we um, we successfully made changes, and we are we're proud to say that patients are discharged on an average of 1.5 medications from our unit. And the way. We did that is by emphasizing in, in other modalities. The, the problem with medications in psychiatry is that, for example, in the case of depression, the antidepressants take a number of weeks to, to kick in, to actually have the effect that they're going to have. In the meantime, the patient has other symptoms, insomnia or irritability, and uh, so we add another medication to sleep and another medication for anxiety. Before you know, the patient is taking four medications. I want to emphasize about one class of medications, especially in the treatment of depression, and that is the, the class of medication called benzodiazepine. Those are Xanax, Ativan, Lorazepam, this kind of medications. They're very, very commonly used, and they are we, they're, they're really central nervous, nervous system depressants. They basically do in the brain just like the same as alcohol. As a matter of fact, when, when someone with alcoholism comes to, the, to our unit and they need to be detoxed, we use this type of medication because they cross-react in the brain, the same receptors. So we are prescribing these medications for sleep, for anxiety. In the short run, they're effective. But in the long run, they cause the same symptoms that we, give, that we started using them for. They cause depression. 
they cause anxiety, they interfere with your sleep. So that's why I think education is very important when, when we're treating our patients and we're putting them on a number of medications because many of our psychiatric patients are taking two, three, four medications, and some of them are, are causing side effects that we're treating with other medications. What we do, what I do, for example, here at Hagenseg is I, I evaluate the patient, I take a good history, and when I see four or five medications, I know I have a problem. So I know I have to accurately diagnose the patient and try to reduce the polypharmacy to one, one medication and for the amount of time that is necessary. We know now that in, in the case of depression and anxiety, there are other modalities as well that are as effective as medication. For example, psychotherapy, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy. If you do a study, a scan study of a patient that is treated with medication or with psychotherapy, you see the same changes in the brain. Uh, the patients that responded to medication to those that responded to psychotherapy. So one, one of the important um, concepts in integrative medicine, it's, uh, and in, in medicine in general, should be an if, first do no harm. So you, you, we should try to pick the treatment for each patient that will not only help them with their illness, but cause the minimum amount of harm. And that's when the topic of use of um, polypharmacy, of number of uh, excessive use of psychiatric medications comes into place. And, and it's very important for people not to get confused. Our medications are very effective. Our antipsychotics are very effective when um, the patient needs them. But we are prescribing antipsychotics for insomnia, for anxiety, for what we what physicians call off-label indications. So they're indications that are not even approved by the FDA, but we're just prescribing a number of antipsychotics. By the way, antidepressants and antipsychotics are number one and four in, um, prescri- in prescriptions written in America. So there's, a, a, I think, an, in my opinion, and I don't want people to take this wrong because I, I believe medications are important, but there's an excessive use of medication and an emphasis on the quick fix. And the, right. the, the brain has another um, a way to deal with, with the medications, which is something that we call tachyphylaxis. What that means is that the brain sometimes adjusts to the medications that we're giving it, and it doesn't respond in the same way anymore. So it's just the same as using too many antibiotics and then your immune system is affected by that. So I think that judicious use of uh, psychiatric medications and especially combining it with psychotherapy, good nutrition, stress reduction exercise, it's the way to go in in the future of medicine. Well, I know one of the concerns with the integration of... um, Healthcare around the Affordable Care Act is so much more. Um, I guess this is giving, making the primary care physician more of the gatekeeper. And mm-hmm. to, to speak to what you're talking about, you know, I know for myself and for some of my family members, it, all you have to do is go to some primary care physicians and talk about feeling tired or feeling. Um, depressed, and you're automatically put out of benzodiazepine. And I think that yes. 
sometimes, you know, um, the license to prescribe, the first do no harm. I don't know, somewhere along the line, we ended up with the power of the prescription and not the accountability. And, I mean, I'm a nurse. I, I understand the importance of medicine and doctors need to prescribe. But we got derailed somewhere along the line because people are prescribing things that they don't even know are A, addictive, B, mm-hmm. how to get somebody off of them if they, they do prescribe them. And, and uh, you know, whether it's opiates or benzodiazepines or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just... I think to me that's the scary side of integrated medicine because it gives people the the access to do things that they may not really be qualified to to take care of. No, you're and right. We'll be right we... back after this commercial, so you can respond to that. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you or someone you love struggle with Alzheimer's disease or some other disorder? Many times, there is not an adequate support forum where you can learn from and discuss topics from top guest experts. Tune in to NeuroMatters, The Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Although thought of as a disease that affects only older individuals, increasingly, symptoms are being found in people who are in their 40s and 50s. Get the answers. NeuroMatters airs live Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Good childhood mental health is critically important. Early patterns of emotions and thinking shape children's behavior from preschool into the teen years and beyond. But understanding young kids can be a challenge. Tune in to Child Psych Central. Discover the kid brain with Dr. Beth Onafrak. Each week, we will reveal how brain function and child development drive young children's daily behavior. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's one of the best things that you can do as a parent. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time.
Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Dr. Diego Coria, who is the Chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at Hackensack University Medical Center, as well as the Director of the Deborah Simon Center for Integrated Behavioral Health and Wellness at Hackensack University Medical Center. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond, respond to my comment before we went to commercial. Yes, you, you asked me about about uh, the potential risk of uh, the Affordable Care Act creating a situation where where um, um, primary care are providers are, are are as gatekeepers and 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 sometimes they use um, these medications, um, benzodiazepines, anti antidepressants, anti anxiety medications, and I think we always no no system is perfect. In, in my opinion, uh, for our patients and what I have seen, the Affordable Care Act has been um, uh, a, a positive experience. And but we are, we are, no system is perfect, and we always have to be careful. First, I, I want to um, find what I consider to be integrative medicine, which is using both the, the best of both worlds, the best of conventional medicine and the best of alternative medicine. So some people um, assume that integrative medicine is just using alternative medicine. But so you have to, when you see a, when a, a physician, when you see a physician, they should always do a full uh, good medical workup and then um, try to um, have a plan that, that it's individualized to the person that you're treating and that they agree with it because many times if you don't engage the patient, they, they're not going to, um, you know, follow your instructions. But having um, doctors treat symptoms quickly, you mentioned, for example, I think, um, feeling tired. And, and when, you, when someone comes to you, the symptoms of depression, unfortunately, are, are similar to symptoms of, of many other conditions. So when someone cannot sleep and someone is tired, for example, sometimes correcting uh, an imbalance in the nutrients, magnesium, for example, is, is very important and is, is usually deficient in, in our diets. Sometimes just looking at that and correcting that uh, nutrition, nutri- nutrient deficiency can prevent that patient from being put on a sleeping medication or an anti-anxiety medication. The, the concept of chronic illness and inflammation is something that, that I think is very important to look at in psychiatry because if we take our time from the beginning, taking a good history, I, I can tell you of a patient quickly that I treated uh, for depression and he um, came, he was stable and he came to me one day and he was severely depressed, almost even suicidal. And I wasn't sure what was going on. And what I did is I just, I said, walk me through your day. Wake, I wake up, go to work, no breakfast, keep working, no lunch, come home in the evening, and take a big bowl of pasta. So 24 hours without eating almost until the next uh, dinner, which is a, have a big bowl of pasta. So in, that's an example of, something you can do instead of adding another antidepressant or increasing the medication, I told him, you have to have breakfast. You have to have lunch. Just, 
just not skipping breakfast and lunch put him in a in a situation where he was irritable, he couldn't sleep, he was depressed. And those are the things that I that I think are are important to keep in mind that we don't have to jump into a medication every time someone's have a symptom. I think that's really important. The other thing, especially for those of us in the Northeast, is a lot of us are vitamin D deficient. And yes. sometimes just adding that makes a tremendous um, difference to your mood. Yes, absolutely. The vitamin, D has been associ- vitamin D deficiency has been associated with depression. And that's another common deficiency in, in our um, population in general, especially during the winter during the winter months that we don't, we're not exposed to sunlight. And sometimes just correcting those nutrients makes such a big difference because individuals don't have to be exposed for years. I, I recently treated a woman that had been in treatment for depression for over 20 years. And she came on um, five medications. And I knew from the beginning where the problem was. So... So, so I told her, you know, I think we have to do something about these medications. And she told me that after 20 years of um, seeing therapists and seeing psychiatrists, I was the first person that explained to her that she can live without depression, that her brain can regenerate, and that we, what we needed to do was to cut down on some of these uh, medications she likes dancing, so I just encourage her to take more, more dancing classes during the week to change her nutrition. And one by one, I, I took her off four of the five medications. I kept one antidepressant. And her, the clarity of her thought, her thinking improved significantly. Her mood improved. All I did was I took her off the benzodiazepines and and two, three other medications that she was taking for her depression. So um, I think, to me, the, the one important point is that the power is in the individual, and it, I don't care how long you've been suffering with mental illness, there's, there's hope, and there's, um, you have the ability to... Um, improve your life and regenerate your brain. I think when, when we prove that that happens, that the brain uh, changes, because we are a society that we need, we need proof. And, and one, that's one of the problems in mental illness, that we, many times we do a, a blood test and an MRI, and they, they all come back normal. So that, going back to how we started about stigma, the, the brain is so complex that even with a normal CAT scan, um, we know that there's, there's um, pathology in the brain. And cardiology and the other, other branches of medicine, they do have uh, lab tests that come back positive and CAT scans that show um, an illness. We don't have that yet because the brain works in a, in a way that it's not easy to see it with the tools that we have today. Once we get there, I think the, the, the stigma will be reduced and, and the access to care and mental health will be improved. I, I totally agree with you. Um, could you let our audience know how they may get in touch with you or, or find out more about yes. your um, program? Mm-hmm. Sure. We, um, we have a, a website, which is 
Hackensack, and that's H-A-C-K-E-N-S-A-C-K-U-M-C.org. And you can um, Google the Debra Simon, D-E-B-R-A-S-I-M-O-N, uh, Integrative Medicine. And, and you just go on the website and just look for the Department of Psychiatry and you'll find us there. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us, and, and I am so glad you're training new physicians and providers in, in this way of thinking, because I truly believe it's where the future is and desperately what we need. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and, and I congratulate you again on, on this great, great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, and have a great week and a very happy new year, everyone. Thank you. Happy New Year. And um, today is um, Three Kings um, Eve. So for those that celebrate the Three Kings Day tomorrow, happy Three Kings Day. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.